some, for the poor and for the needy. Go without so that they will be taken care of. Uh, we see it again in, uh, in, in the wanderings of the nation of Israel. And so as the nation of Israel, as they're wandering in the wilderness in preparation for going into the promised land, God provides them miraculous food called manna. And so he says to them, uh, uh, on the sixth day, he says to them, okay, today, tomorrow is going to be a Sabbath, meaning that you are to rest. And so today I'm going to give you an extra amount of manna. And so what I want you guys to do is go and gather enough for today, but also for tomorrow. And collectively as a people, they go out and they gather manna. And this is what the scriptures say. It says, so the people of Israel went out and gathered this food, some getting more and some getting less. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. And so early on in the life of, of, of the people of Israel, God is planning this idea that your resources as an individual, as a family, are not just yours. They're to be used collectively for the community life. The needs of those around you are not just their needs, but we're in this collectively together. Uh, we see this idea of generosity in the ministry of Jesus. And did you know that when you read the scriptures, Beside the kingdom of God, Jesus speaks more about money than anything else. And so we read this passage where in Mark chapter 10, uh, a rich young ruler appears before Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? I've followed all the laws my whole life. And Jesus replies to him, you lack only one thing, he told them. Go and sell all you have and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. So Jesus tells this young man, the one thing you're lacking is concern for the poor. Be generous. Come follow me. We see this in the life of the early church. In the book of Acts chapter 2, we're told that uh, all the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had, they sold their possessions and shared the proceeds with those in need. And so when you read the scriptures from beginning to end, everywhere you read, this idea of generosity is central to the calling of God's people. It's at the very core of God's heart. It's at the very center of how God looks at this world, this idea of generosity. People putting their own well-being secondary to those around them. People giving up some of their money to make sure that others are cared for. And so the question that I want to ask today is why? Why is this so important to God? Why is God so repetitious in calling his people to give generously? Why? And so there's a very simple and uh, there, there's a very simple answer to that. God calls us to be generous because there are a lot of needy and poor people in the world. So that's a very simplistic answer. But 
I don't think that's at the heart of why God calls us to give. And, and here's why. This idea that God needs my money, the God, the idea, this idea that God needs your money to take care of the poor is inconsistent with the God that I see in the scriptures. The God that I see in the scriptures is the God who created all things just by the word of his mouth. The God in the scriptures that I see is the God who fed tens of thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. I don't think God asks us to give because he's having cash flow issues. Okay? I don't think God asks us to give because he needs our help in making sure that the poor are taken care of. See, I think God wants us to give because he knows that deep down our hearts are broken, our hearts are fundamentally flawed, and one of the ways that God's going to fix our hearts is through generosity in giving. So in other words, uh, God asks us to be generous. Our, 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 the call to be gener generous is not so much for God's sake, it's not so much for the sake of the needy, but more than anything, it's for our sake and for the sake of our hearts. See, when, when, when we give, God changes our hearts in many ways. And, and today I'm going to share three, three ways that, that God gives, uh, changes our hearts through giving. So the first way is that God keeps us focused on heaven, heaven through giving. Okay? And in chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, this is what Jesus says. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Store your treasures in heaven. Okay, so this idea that when we give, what God does is he takes our eyes and our perspective off of life here, and he begins to fix it on heaven. Uh, like Pastor uh, Robin shared, uh, by, by profession, I'm, I'm a financial advisor. And when I talk to my clients, I talk to them about this, the importance of saving. And so oftentimes I, I sit with them and I tell them, okay, you're 40. I want you to picture across on the other side of this table yourself when you're 75. And so as you're working now, the income that you earn can't be just for your needs today, but it's also got to be for your needs when you're older. And so save some of your money, think about your life that is to come, and set aside some of your money for that day when you're 75. And in the same way, I think Jesus is talking about this idea of giving, that we have choices what we do with our money. We can spend it on ourselves, we could spend it now, or he says, you can spend it in a way that you're laying for yourself treasures in heaven. You can be selfless, you can be giving, you can be generous, you can be concerned for the needs of others, and in that way, you are laying for yourself treasures in heaven. Uh, perhaps the, one of the best examples that I've ever seen of this was a young man named Juan. Okay? Uh, for many years, my, my dad owned his own business, and he employed a, a young man, named, named, his name was Juan. And, and, and Juan was from Mexico, 
Okay? His whole family lived in Mexico. He was the only one that came to the States. And his idea was, I'm going to work, I'm going to earn money, and every paycheck that I get, I'm going to save a little bit of money for my food, for my rent, for to take care of my needs, and then I'm going to send the rest back home to Mexico. Because he knew that once he had enough money saved up, he was going to go back to Mexico, open up a restaurant, and life would be great. And so he was living with that idea in mind that, hey, I'm here in the States, but it's temporary. It's only for a while. It's only until I have enough money saved up, and then I'm going to go back to my real life, the life that I'm anticipating, that I look forward to. And I think Jesus is saying the same thing. Give. And when you do that, what I'm going to do in the process is I'm going to take your eyes off of this world, this life, and I'm going to help you to see heaven and to understand that that is your true life. Second, when we give, giving keeps our hearts close to God. And in verse 21, Jesus says something that's very remarkable. He says, wherever your treasure is, there your thoughts and your hearts will be also. See, for, for a long time when, when I read this, I thought that maybe Jesus had this wrong because I thought the way it should work is that we find the things that we're passionate about, the things that we care about, and then we put our money towards those things. But Jesus says it's the exact opposite. That where you put your treasure, there your affections and your heart follows along. Okay? And so Jesus says that when you give, when you're generous, when you use your money in ways that are close to the heart of God, your heart starts being changed. And your heart starts belonging to God. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, a few years ago, my wife and I, we made the mistake of buying a home with a swimming pool. Okay. And here's why it's a mistake. Because it's a lot of work keeping the water blue. It uses a lot of electricity to run the pumps over and over again. And no one in our house ever uses it. <laughs> and so our house, we live in a neighborhood that's kind of on a hill. And uh, hills and pools don't mix well together because of something called gravity. And after we moved into our home, we started realizing that little by little, our backyard is going downhill. And after a while, what we started to see is little hairline cracks forming in our pool and water would seep out of these little cracks. And so for a while, we tried to, to hold it together. We tried to literally band-aid it together. And what I would do is whenever these new forms would crack, I would get my snorkel mask. I would buy this stuff called epoxy putty, and I'd go underwater and put this putty over the cracks in order to hold the water in the pool. And so that got tiring after a while, and so we said, you know, we need to get this taken care of. We need to get this fixed. So we hired people to, to take care of it for us. They drained the pool, fixed all the cracks up, and then filled it up again. And as you can imagine, that wasn't a very cheap thing to do. It took significant money to get our pool repaired. And so life was good. The pool was fine. 
And then in May, or I believe it was March of 2014, we had a little earthquake in La Habra, okay, 5.1 magnitude. And it, it happened early evening. I was home alone. Uh, Helena and the kids were gone. And so I'm sitting there. I think I was watching TV, and the earthquake happened. And you know what, what the first thought of my heart was? Okay. It wasn't, I hope my wife and my kids are safe. It wasn't, oh my goodness, I hope my neighbors are okay. I hope my parents are okay. The first thought of my heart was the pool. So I got a flashlight, went in the backyard, went around. Whew, no new cracks. And then I called my wife and kids. Are you guys okay? Did you guys... But what Jesus says is, where your treasures are, your heart follows along. And I think one of the reasons Jesus spoke so much about money is he understood this dynamic. That what we do with our money has, in many ways, the greatest uh, or a big impact on where our hearts are and how close we are to the Lord. third thing that happens when we give generously is that it brings us deep joy. Um, we've all experienced this where we've been able to help someone out, and we've experienced the joy that follows along in our hearts. In, in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, um, uh, it tells us that Jesus spoke, and he said, It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. We all know how good it feels to receive, but Jesus says it's even better to give. And let me give you an example of, of, of what I mean here. Uh, this is a picture of John and Jane. Okay? Lovely couple. They have two young kids, and um, um, they have a growing family. And so one of the things that they'd like to do is they'd like to buy a minivan. They have a young family, they're, they're at, uh, planning to, to have more children, so they thought one day, you know, it would be really good for us to have a minivan. And so they, re they, they decide, we're going to start saving a down payment for the minivan, and they figure it's going to cost about $5,000 for the mini, uh, down payment. And so John and Jane, every month they bring home about $7,500. They're... Uh, members of a local church. They're faithful in tithing 10% of their income every month to the church. And so at the end of the day, once their mortgage is paid off, once their food bills are paid off, uh, once they tithe, they figure they're able to save about $250 a month. That at the end of the day, after they give, after they pay the bills, they're able to save $250 a month. And so they figure in order to save for $5,000 down payment, it's going to take them 20 months. Now, what if they didn't tithe? What if they didn't give? If that were the case, not only would they be able to save $250 a month, but they would have an additional $750 a month to save for the down payment for that minivan. And so instead of 20 months of saving and 20 months of waiting, now it becomes five months. 20 months versus five months. But they love the Lord and they decide, you know what, 15 months is not a big deal. We can wait. We're still going to continually give to the church. And you know what, there's, for, 
a deep satisfaction for that 15-month period as they drive their older, smaller car and as they pull up to a red light and all these Toyota Siennas pull up next to them, they're going to have this deep satisfaction and joy in their hearts of knowing that it's not that we can't afford it, but we choose to go without it because we'd rather give faithfully to the Lord. And God knows that when we give and when we're generous and when we're faithful, there's a deep joy and satisfaction that come, comes along with it. So I, I believe uh, that deep down we all want to be generous. I believe that deep down we want to help. I believe deep down we want to give and probably give more than we're giving now. And so the question is, why is it so hard to be generous? And why are we doing such a poor job of doing that? Uh, I did a little bit of research for, for, for my sermon, and I found some, some reports, some statistics on giving today in America in the church. And one of the things that I found is that less than 2% of all self-confessed Christian churchgoers tithe regularly. And by tithe, I mean give 10% of their income away to their church. Less than 2% of all Christians in America, according to this study, regularly tithe. I saw another statistic that says that when a family earns $20,000 or less a year, they are eight times more likely to tithe than a family that's making $75,000 a year. And so the more wealth that a family has, the more income that a family has, what research tells us is they give less and less. And the, 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 the reports that I said that 37% of all regular church attenders don't give anything to the church. And so if giving is a good thing, if giving is something that God desires deeply from each and every one of us, why is it so hard to give faithfully and generously? And I think the answer to that is because there's a battle for our hearts. And Jesus alludes to it in, in, in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so of all the different possibilities for mastery of our hearts, besides God, the most powerful idol there is, is money. And I think that's why the Bible speaks so much about money, because God understands that apart from himself, the next most likely candidate to the, be the master of our hearts is money. Money's a very powerful thing. Our hearts are broken, our hearts are flawed, and money can do many things for us. For one, uh, money can buy us acceptance. Like, like Pastor Robin said, uh, up until about 10 years ago, I used to be in full-time ministry. 
and uh, I served at a small church. I received a, a modest salary. And at that time, my, my wife was a school teacher, but because our kids were young, she only worked part-time maybe one day or two days a week. And so we had modest income. Uh, we, we lived in a modest townhome. We, we, we lived a modest life. And at that time, our daughter uh, was, in six, uh, was about six or seven, and she was uh, in kindergarten. And I remember because for a number of reasons, one, we didn't have a whole lot of money, two, it wasn't really important to us, we would buy her shoes at Payless. And one particular uh, uh, sneaker that we bought her, they were imitation Adidas. So you know how Adidas, they have their trademark is they have the three stripes? Well, anyways, these sneakers from Payless had four stripes. Okay, they, they were ma made to look like Adidas. And she went off to school. And we found out that there was a kid in her classroom that was making fun of her because she was wearing fake Adidas slippers or fake Adidas sneakers. And it grieved my heart. It hurt me. And my wife and I, we did a very human thing. We said, you know what? No more of that. We're going to buy her the name brand sneakers from here on out. See, when you have money, you can buy acceptance. You can buy status. You can be like everyone else. And we live in a day and age where it is so, so easy to fit in and be like everyone else. Um, about 10 years ago, for a number of reasons, I decided to, to um, go into a different profession, a different career and I became a financial advisor and a financial planner. And uh, a few years after that, my wife, because our kids were a little bit older, she started teaching full time. And as I started enjoying a little bit of success in my profession, we started making more money than we ever made before. And we did the very easy thing. We moved from a small townhome into a large, nice home. We started driving nicer cars. We started doing more things for our kids. And I suppose along the way our giving ticked up a little bit. Not much, but it ticked up a little bit. And we just did the easy thing. And that's one of the dangers of money is it buys you acceptance, it buys you status, it can buy you respect. And so at the end of the day, when you're paying for a big mortgage, you know, paying for car payments for, for two new expensive cars and, and doing all these things, there's not a lot of money to be given. There's not a lot of money to be uh, left over. We also know that money gives us a certain amount of control. Or another way of saying that is it's hard to give because we're afraid, okay? And money, to a certain degree, it gives us control. See, when you have enough money, you can decide the types of schools you want your kids to go to. When you have enough money, when problems arise in your life, you don't really need to pray. You can write a check to solve the problem. And money makes us independent of God. 
And it gives us a sense that we have control over our own lives. And I think that's why in, in the Beatitudes, in, in this passage that we looked at, Jesus goes into a long, lengthy talk about don't worry what you're going to wear. Don't worry what you're going to eat. Because he knows that fear and generosity don't go well together. That when you're fearful, when you want control of your own life, you can't give away your money in generous ways. See, when, whenever my heart is moved to give money away, there's a little voice inside my head, inside my heart, that says, well, David, you got the money now. You can give it away. But what's going to happen down the road when you need the money and you've given it away? Are you going to be okay? And so Jesus says, don't worry about having enough food or having enough drink or having enough clothing. Trust me in this. And so I think those are some of the reasons why it's so hard for us to faithfully give. Because of status, acceptance, control. Money makes a good master. God knows this. That's why he speaks so much about money. And so if that's the case, how is it that we can break through into true generosity? And the answer to that is by finding our true riches in Jesus Christ alone. In the book of 2 Corinthians, um, Paul is having a charitable campaign. He's talking to the churches in the Roman world, and he's saying, hey, we have, a, we have a group of brothers and sisters in Jerusalem that are poor, they're suffering. So what I'd like every single church to do is collect some money, and let's send it to the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And he's making an appeal to them to give generously. And this is the crux of his appeal. He's not saying, do this because it's God's commandment for you. Do this or else God will take away what he's blessed you with. Do this and God will bless you. No, the crux, the heart of his appeal is this. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he talks about Jesus and he says, Though he was very rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Paul's asking these brothers and sisters to give generously. And the heart of his appeal is, look to Jesus. Though he was rich, he became poor, so that in his poverty, in his sacrifice, you might be rich. And I think generosity comes when we experience the gospel of Jesus to the degree we experience the gospel of Jesus. When you know that God loves you unconditionally, that he's given his very dear son in exchange for your salvation, for your well-being, it liberates us from the things that hold us back from generosity. 
to things like the need for approval and acceptance of others. It liberates us from fear of the future, that what if I give it away and I need it again in the future? The gospel liberates us from that. And so let me give you three last thoughts, and then I'll wrap it up here. One is we need to be intentional about giving. And what I mean by that is it doesn't just happen by itself. And so when I get a new client and I sit down with them, I talk to them about the importance of budgeting. And I tell my clients that I don't care if you make $40,000 a year or if you're making $4 million a year, you need to have a budget. You need to sit down, decide what you're going to spend money on, and then track it closely because at the end of the day, if you don't know what you're going to do with your money, it's just going to do whatever it wants. And I think giving's a little bit like that. We need to be intentional about giving. We need to sit down and say, okay, these are the things that I'd like to give to. This is how much I think I can give. I want to make sure that I'm doing this regularly. And so it's not going to happen by itself. It needs to be intentional. Second, uh, I think we need to be prayerful about our giving. And so as, as people, we like simple answers. And so people often ask the question, how much should I be giving? And I don't think there's a simple answer to that. The Bible says a tithe, 10%. But I think there are some families right now that they can't do 10%, and, and, and God will still be okay with that. I think there are some families where 10% is too little. And so we need to be prayerful about it. We need to sit down with God and engage him and say, God, how much? Where? And at different times of life, that's going to be different. And so we need to be engaged with God and prayerful about this idea of giving. And I think we need to be prayerful about the places that we're giving money to. So my family and I, we do a couple of things in terms of our giving. We, we, we sponsor a child overseas. Uh, we sponsor uh, different missionaries. We, we, we sponsor um, campus ministry. But one of the things that I've realized in the last couple of years is I don't really think about the people I'm giving to because it's automatically deducted from my checking account or it's automatically charged to my credit card. And so they're just little line items. And you've heard that saying, out of sight, out of mind. And so one of the things that I've decided to do in preparation is, as I was preparing for the sermon, God spoke to me and said, David, you need to be more thoughtful about your giving. And so one of the things that I've decided to do in my own life is I'm going to make a list of the people and the places that I'm sending money to. And at least once or twice a month, I'm just going to sit down, set aside some time, and, and pray for these people and give thought to what's happening there. Okay? I don't want to just mindly, mindlessly give. And so I think we need to be prayerful about our giving. And then the last point here is we need to be communal about our giving. Okay? Um, Meaning that we live in a world that's going a certain way. And we live in a world that thinks a certain way about money. And unless we're part of a community that's talking about this, that's living otherwise, 
it's easy to become just like the world in the treatment of money. And so one of the hopes that I have and that we have as far as the stewardship ministry goes is that we're going to have this ongoing conversation in our church about money. What's it mean to be faithful? What's it mean to honor God with our money? And I'm hoping that through that, that God moves the needle of our hearts little by little by little to a place where to, to, together as a church, we're generous. See, I can't be generous and I can't be sacrificial in my living unless I'm inspired by other people in my church that are doing the same. And so we need to be doing this together, and that's the hope as, as we continue on with the stewardship ministry. So uh, let me pray for us, and let's ask for God's help in this area of our lives. Uh, Father, you make it very clear in the scriptures that all we have has been given to us by you. And part of that is that you're a father and you want us to enjoy the blessings and the gifts that you've given to us. And a big part of it too is also, Lord, that you want us to live out your values in the ways that we use our money. Things like generosity, things like helping others, things like living sacrificially. But we confess it's hard to do. And so today, every day, Lord, capture our hearts so that we know that our true treasure is you and so that we can be freed to live the life of generosity and sacrifice. Capture our hearts so that we can do this, Lord, we pray. Amen.